Welcome to Where We Land, a podcast that explores the relationship between Christ, culture, and the church. Hey, welcome to the podcast. My name is Aaron Mansfield, and I'm joined here with my co-host, Mr. Stephen Vaughn. Hello, everyone. And Miss Morgan McClure. What is up, everyone? And we are thrilled that you have joined us again for Where We Land as we are continuing our discussion on the wonder of worldview. So we hope you join us for the whole discussion today. So everybody, we're sitting in the studio right here, and um, it's a little messy. Uh, the studio, <laughs> if you don't office. know, if you don't know, we actually the studio is built into my office. Yeah, a blessing and, and a curse. Blessing and a curse. Um, so here's the deal. Um, many of you heard uh, last week that we were really getting into the wild game dinner auction and fundraiser and all that, but all the items are still in my office because the pickup is not until a little ways away while we're recording this. And, um, so you got a lot of cool stuff in here though. I have like 70 auction items in my office, right? (laughs) Actually about 65 because some of them are offsite, but, um, it's pretty intense. Yeah. Well, and what was a whole week for you guys was actually like 10 minutes for us. We took a break, got highly caffeinated. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Which is, which is good because we're picking up where we left off last week, uh, talking about the wonder of worldview. And uh, last time on the episode, uh, we really just took some time to unpack what a, a worldview is. And uh, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, you probably needed to stop this right here, uh, go back one episode and listen to part one. One, because in that episode, we not only unpack what is a worldview, how is a worldview formed, uh, but we really talk about kind of the landscape of the day that we are in and the effects of postmodernism and relativism and how that has really influenced the discussion that people have uh, when they talk about uh, worldviews. And um, so a way to kind of summarize, though, our last episode, if anybody doesn't go back and listen, uh, Morgan, how would you summarize the last episode for well, everybody? First of all, shame on you. Go back and listen to that episode. It was really <laughs> Stop good. Stop right now. <laughs> Stop listening. Um, so basically, we kind of just gave you a general worldview 101 class about how you know worldviews developed what have been some of the popular worldview movements in recent history um and really just the breakdown of why a worldview is important and how it affects our lives so let me ask you guys this question because you know we, we are you know you put your cards on the table last time Stephen, talking about them mm-hmm. you know we all are christians we're born again christians the christian story has changed our life and uh, drastic ways. And um, as followers of Christ, that shapes the way uh, that we do view life and how we've answered. Uh, we have come to know uh, really the answers to some of those existential questions. However, as we think about worldview uh, today, what do you think are a lot of the misconceptions that people have? You know, we talked a little bit about it before we started recording today, but some of the misconceptions that that people tend to embrace um, when they think about a worldview, I think it's often, from my perspective, it's it's often much more narrow uh, than really kind of this comprehensive understanding of the way the world is. Yeah, I think people miss it on mainly two different groupings whenever they're shooting for worldviews. It's either A, um, I can go to, you. you use this illustration and I loved it, 
um, Aaron, the vending machine. I can mm-hmm. go to the Worldview vending machine, put in my token, and then I can get whichever one I think is like the best for me, right? So if I think like Dr. Pepper, I like that worldview better. I can get that. Or if I like Pepsi worldview, you know, like that's one way. Which is in the age of individualism. It is. I mean, is highly in the age of individualism. It is. so American. It is. Or it sometimes (laughs) even goes to, to like the opposite extreme of, um, we're going to see this actually today. So I'm not going to give a spoiler too much here, but like we go to this idea that like everybody's worldview is the same in the sense of, whether or not it's different or not, they all have the same ending point. Well, and I think yeah. that that can be a danger sometimes too. It's either, hey, you know, like everyone's different and we all have our individualism and it's all different and like we're all opposing, or hey, everybody, the ending point's all the same. So worldview doesn't really matter. Yeah. So it's just something. And I think that that would be two ways that I see it uh, having problems the most. Yeah, the caveat to that second one is like, Everybody has different forms of worldview, but their substance is the same. Yeah. Which is. They all know, hold the same weight. Yeah. But which that's is something not true. We'll probably. No, we won't probably. We will push against <laughs> that in this episode. <laughs> but but that, that, once again, is is the, you know, the, the time that we're in. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is the fierce individualism of our Western culture that sets everybody's worldview up as a a b c or d or mm-hmm. you want to fill in the blank and make up your own mm-hmm. and they all what our society today is saying is that all worldviews are equally uh coherent they are all logically find consistent your truth and find your truth and then and then follow that and and like you're saying Stephen, like we all achieve the same thing yeah and even in christian in the christian worldview under the christian banner so to speak You've seen this fierce individualism pushed in the modern 21st century. That's why you see conferences with the title of fierce. You know, how can you be the most fierce individual person that God made you to be? Well, did you just hear that statement? Did you read that statement? Did you listen to that statement? So that you can be the most fierce individual that God made you to be. Well, yes, God made you to follow his God-given plan for your life. However, he also made you to be that in a community as well. And so even in our Christian mentality and in our Christian conference and conference mentality, we push this fierce individualism on us. And it's really not, it's something that we need to look at, I think, under this Christian worldview and see that it's a little, uh, we've allowed some postmodernism to uh, slip into our Christian worldview. Oh yeah, I would agree with that. so subtle. I mean, you just, you'd stick your toe in the current and before you know it, you're being swept away by it. You You don't recognize really well, Mm -hmm. uh, really the current that you're in. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it seems until like the next generation and then you look back and everything seems far more clarified Mm -hmm. as to really, man, how far distorted we were Mm -hmm. on something. So you did say it, Stephen. We're going to talk today about the Christian worldview. We're talking about the Christian story. And once again, the worldview is an understanding of the way the world is. Mm-hmm. And uh, last time we talked about that any fact, any any point, anything that you want to talk about as, as scientific or real, any, any fact is only a fact in the context of a story. You have to have a narrative uh, to, to, to communicate that fact, to, to illustrate, to talk about w- w- the significance of that. And so, you know, every story, uh, really a worldview, is, just, uh, is a compilation of a whole bunch of stories. It's, it's a whole bunch of uh, really kind of nuanced views, the way that you uh, perceive 
life. And what we're going to talk about today on the podcast is the Christian worldview really is uh, what we would uh, state and see is is really something that when we think about the gospel, the story of of God's work in the world, um, really, it's the Christian worldview that shines the brightest in a day like today, where there is so many different um, types of worldviews that are trying to vie for significance. And it's, I think it's the Christian worldview that stands out as, man, this is the most coherent, it is the most comprehensive worldview. Yeah. And so why is that? I mean, why is the Christian worldview the most coherent, the most comprehensive worldview? Well, I think one thing, just drawing from the episode last time, we had used, I think it was Morgan, you brought up um, external and internal truth. Yeah. And um, I think the Christian worldview does something, and it's not necessarily on the same vein, but I'm going to use the same words, okay? It takes the external and the internal and blends them together in the best way. Meaning, what I mean by that is this, the Christian worldview looks at the external, but then it also relies on the internal belief of what is external and what is true. Mm. Wow. And then we try and divorce that though. So if you look at, uh, if you look at um, modernism, their whole goal was to elevate externals above mm. anything that is ever internal. And then if you look at postmodernism, their goal is to take internal and make it elevated above anything external and let externals back in a little, but uh, we really want to focus on the internals. And I believe the Christian worldview says, no, there is an internal belief in what is true, but it is going to be based on the externals that I see on what we would define as the word of God. That's yeah. good. Dang, Stephen, that was really good. Are you sure you're not getting a philosophy degree? Like that was <laughs> very impressive. I actually am in a philosophy class right now. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. But, so this is right up your alley at but, this moment in time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a great explanation. I can't really add anything to that. <laughs> yeah, because I think what you're getting at, Stephen, is you're showing that the Christian worldview, as we would come to understand uh, as part of humanity, is that uh, it is the Christian story. It's God's story. Mm. God's story, the God of the Bible and his work in this world that does present. Uh, it, it gives us this most comprehensive story. And it is the Christian story that actually makes sense of every other story. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what we're going to talk about. Because, you know, you can't write anything without making any type of assumptions about the world story. It's those kind of existential questions that we talked about last time. The who am I? What is the meaning of life? What is... Uh, what's real? Yeah, what's real? Yeah. What's, what's the problem? Why is the world not like it ought to be. I think there's a sense mm -hmm. as as human beings that we can all look out on the world and we can see that the world is not what it ought to be. Mm -hmm. uh, there's there's a sense that, you know, things, you know, there's that longing in the heart of man uh, for something better. And and I think there's a sense that as all hum humans, um, we we share that, that basic hum humanity, that type of basic understanding uh, and all of those questions of who am I, what is the meaning of life, why am I here, all of those things point us back to kind of this grand narrative, this grand story of what God is doing in the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think you brought it up earlier. I mean, God in his word literally says that we all ha come from a similar starting point, right? Yeah. Uh, You're think... talking about Romans 1. Yeah. Um, I think this is a good time to bring that Let's up. Do, that. do you want to bring yeah. that up? Um, I think it's yeah. a great time to bring it up because you were just, you were just emphasizing about how it, it's the gospel is this grand story that transforms everyone else, everybody else's story. Well, why is that? Well, it's because 
literally it's a part of everyone else's life and right. they just don't know it sometimes, right. <laughs> you know, like it's there because in Romans one verse 18, it says for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Literally God says, I've shown myself to you the truth. Uh, in another part, it talks about how the truth is written on the heart of man. And, um, it, basically what it's saying is the grand story, the grand narrative of the gospel, it's available to everyone and it's a part of everyone's story in life. But many times they distort God's story in their life into and, something and, else. And, yeah. and you said it because it's, 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 it's once again, the most fundamental understanding of a Christian worldview is the understanding that this is not my story, but it's God's story. Yeah. And, and, um, and Romans one is showing that that is part of humanity. Uh, we are in God's story. Mm -hmm. Um, he is far above us and, and God has made certain things plain to them. Um, what has he made plain? Well, verse 20, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature. The Bible says have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world by the things that are made so that they are without excuse. The they is humanity. They, they look out, you and I look out on this world that God has made, and there are things that are visible that we see that communicate to us invisible, invisible attributes of who God is. Yeah. And so a person has really a choice in life, whether or not they will look out on this world and the things that are made and they will seek God. They will um, they they will understand uh, those things to be reality. Mm -hmm. Or the Bible says we suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. What yeah. is that? Um, well, sorry. Can you state that question again? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> I had so another when, thought going. Yeah, you're good. No, so give us your thought, and I'll come back to. <laughs> yeah. That. Well, I was just thinking, like, how incredible is it? I mean, these things have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Like what every single human who has come onto this earth and has existed has dealt with these questions why because we were they are written inside of us that's why we have all these different worldviews is because we're all striving to answer the same thing and i don't know i just i'm so floored by romans chapter one but you're, you're hitting on it that in in part of being human we seek to answer those questions that's a, yeah. that's a human response yeah and, and that is something that God has put within us. And so notice some people, notice they, they, they evidence, they see the things in life and, and the things about God are plain to them mm -hmm. because God has shown it. And for others, they, they suppress the truth of God, the knowledge of God in unrighteousness. And the Bible talks about they exchange a truth for a lie. So yeah. what we're trying to do in this episode today is show that, once again, we have been so accustomed to viewing things of worldview in such a fierce individualistic society that we say, well, worldview is first and foremost about me. Well, the Bible would say, no, this world is first and foremost about God, mm -hmm. and it's God's story in this world, and you and I are a part of, of God's story. And, um, and, and it's God's story that makes sense of our story. It's mm -hmm. God's uh, purpose, his order, his meaning, his beauty uh, that gives clarity and makes sense of our world. So it's a terrible idea 
to think about the Christian worldview as simply like we were talking about a vending machine of options. It's like, well, what kind of worldview do I want today? And when actual fact, worldview is far more uh, not what you think truth is as much as the nature of truth itself, reality itself. And so what we're trying to do today and what we're going to do we're going to unpack God's story in kind of four big mm-hmm. things. We're going to talk about creation, the fall of man, redemption, and restoration. And what is significant about each one of those things uh, in God's story? So let's start with creation. Let's do it. Uh, creation is the part of God's story that proclaims that there is a creator. There is a designer, um, a philosophical uh term or argument for that would be like the teleological argument, which simply is that every design requires a designer. Mm -hmm. And uh, God's story proclaims that God is the designer of all things that are. Uh, He has spoken everything into existence, Genesis 1, that is. Yeah, in Genesis 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and the heavens and over the livestock and all and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. So creation is telling us something about God. It's saying that God speaks. First, we Mm -hmm. open the Bible, Genesis 1, and what do we see? God speaking, God revealing himself to mankind. And in this creation, the Bible uh, again and again and again describes God's creation as good. So what does that tell us about uh, this world? What do we see from creation about God's story? Well, that, um, you know, it didn't just happen for no purpose. I think the very the, the very aspect of God saying something is good and him creating it, 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 it shows that it's not some meaningless thing that just kind of happened for no reason, you know. Um, and then in another way, you see all these different worldviews out there that they all have um, a, a sense of creation, you know, but where there's sort of, Wherever there is truth in some of it, you can see where different aspects of a worldview have become distorted by a false narrative kind of derived out of that. Like, So let's start with the true. Yeah. Let's, let's start with the true narrative. Yeah. What does creation say uh, about the story? I mean, it, it tells yeah. us that God speaks, that mm-hmm. God reveals himself. That's significant yes. because first off, every other religion of the world uh, is man's attempt to find God. Yeah. Whereas God enters uh, this world, uh, he creates this world. I mean, it, it's just well, so different in that. It, creation is very simple because it gives a personal God, a perfect God, and it also says that he is a God of purpose. Mm-hmm. And so thus he has created... Um, in the original state, sure. At creation, which we do not see right now, we do not see it. <laughs> yeah. Which we're going to talk about. That's, that's coming. We're talking about the original state. But there was a perfect God who created everything. There perfect. is a perfect God. There is. Mm-hmm. There is a perfect God, and He was perfect then, but He still is perfect. But a perfect God created a perfect world with perfect people to have a perfect relationship with Him. Right. And He created it with design, order, and purpose. And we see everything good. I mean, I think anything in our life today that we say, man, that is truly good, that is true beauty, all of those things find their origin uh, in God Himself. Because He's good. And, uh, yeah. Because He's good. Yeah. He's perfect. I, 
our beauty and value, which is two words that we want to use in our modern culture all the time, right? Where do I get my value from? Where does that come from? It's questions that Greek philosophers asked in their, um, uh, in their questions, their big existential questions that they asked, what is valuable? What is beauty? Mm-hmm. Um, with the Christian worldview answers that very clearly. It is God. And so thus what he gives is good and beautiful. Good. Mm-hmm. And so it is, God is intrinsically valuable, good and beautiful. And thus we have intrinsic value because God has given his value upon us in creation. That's yeah. good. Another important, really important thing that we see because of this, this idea of creation is that who was not created? God, he, he was not created. He always was. So it, it does set up for us this understanding of a God that is, is also is personal is perfect but he's also other and he transcends all creation right because um you know the creator is not the creation he he came first he always was and he was the one who designed everything Mm -hmm. so it is once again that outside of yeah that's really good and it, it really too it gives the sense that there is an authority yeah. Overall. Yeah. Um, There's like an accountability. This was something that was agreed upon even in different type, even in like the different um, worldviews that might have popped up in the pre-modern era. Mm-hmm. This was something that was pretty much universally agreed upon to a pretty much majority of the world that mm-hmm. there was an authority. Right. There is authority. Right. And this is something that has been pushed back upon some in the modern era, but I would argue extremely in the postmodern era has been pushed back upon is that there is no authority. And the Christian worldview states, no, there is an authority because he created it all. So it's all his. We aren't just a host unto ourselves. Mm -hmm. And God, God shows us in his word, this story that he created all things, but then we see so many false narratives already began distorting Genesis 1 yeah. and Genesis 2. Uh, what are some of those kind of turns in the story that that people want to distort God's narrative uh, in kind of a false narrative? Yeah, I think the it's a big, big one that has many offshoots from creation, okay? <laughs> I think it would be what we would call naturalism, mm-hmm. um, and we would attribute things like evolution to and other different types of explanations as to what has happened. But it's a naturalistic worldview that says that we did not need an authority. We did not need a designer because chaos is actually what produced what we have. Different, either chaos or different equations. We can reduce it to a mathematical equation and it will come out. And um, the the biggest thing that you see in much of the naturalistic worldview, not all of it, but one of the big things is that, especially in the evolution, evolutionary side of it, uh, chaos contrasts order. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is a God of order, and the worldviews that oppose that order is one of chaos. Yeah, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And uh, I almost jumped the gun there on that earlier. But yeah, that's exactly, that's it, Stephen. And, and because of this naturalistic just formation out of accident without an intentional design there's no intentional purpose of being here Mm, yeah that's one of the big assumptions right and so if you once again if you don't affirm god's story of creation then you're going to embrace kind of a false narrative of chaos or of meaninglessness and um you know it, it you you begin to interpret the world by rejecting God and rejecting creation as the Bible teaches. Yeah. Uh, you. Yeah. Yeah. And you even have 
um, like false distortions within Christianity. I would say that people are like, man, God used science. Okay, well, could there have been different parts of like scientific theory that could be that God could have used? Sure. But what does the Bible say happened? He spoke and it came to be. Hmm. And I think sometimes people want to explain away and they're like, they're afraid is what it is because they are not willing to fully believe in what the Bible says. And so they say, well, I'm going to add this to it. Well, if God used this or that to make it happen, great. But what do we know happened? He spoke, (laughs) right? And so we don't need to distort it anymore by saying this or that or the other. If it happened, great. But like, do you get my point? Like, yeah. there we can distort. There are things so, so many nuanced distortions that yeah. people can make yes. from the Christian story, mm-hmm. yeah. and they end up uh, creating a whole false religion. They create an entire belief system. Mm-hmm. Over a distortion. So once again, you know, it goes back to Romans 1. They suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. But we see creation and the significance of it because it shows us that God has always been. He's eternal. He is the creator. He is uh, – he reveals himself. Uh, he he has designed a world. It is perfect and good. And then you turn the page to chapter three of the book of Genesis, and you see the fall of man. Uh, you see that everything's fallen. Uh, there's nothing that has not, in some way, been tainted by sin. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story, it's in Genesis chapter three, and the Bible talks about the fall of man. Uh, in verse six and seven. Now listen to what the Bible says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Now what is the tree there that the Bible's talking about? Knowledge of good and evil. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God creates man and woman, puts them within this beautiful paradise, this garden, everything was good and perfect. And God gave them one command, really, one rule that they were not to eat of this tree And notice Eve eats, and then she gives some to her husband, Adam, and he ate with her. And the Bible says in verse 7, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And and we see God in Genesis 3 putting humanity under a curse, Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the man and the woman and even the serpent. And we see this this doctrine of, you know, just total depravity, everything mm-hmm. not, you know, when people hear the doctrine of total depravity, they often think about, well, everybody is as worse as they possibly could ever be. That's not what the doctrine of total depravity is teaching. It's, it's saying that everything has been corrupted and tainted by sin. Mm-hmm. So there's no part of the world that you look at today that you don't see in some way the effects, the, the distortion that sin created. Yeah. 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 And what's special about Genesis three is too, that it literally defines what corruption, what sin and what wrong is. Mm. Um, we're always like, man, you know, like what is wrong? Well, it's doing what God is against It's doing what he has not said. So the tree of knowledge and good and evil before they ate that it, everything was good. And they only knew what was good, but why? Because they were in unison with the authority of God in their life. And they only did what was good because he had blessed it. It wasn't until they had disobeyed that that's when anti-God things that are against God's sin, a simple word for it, entered the world. And so today we're always like, man, what is sin or what is wrong? What's anything that is against God? Because that's how it entered into the world. (laughs) And everything has been tainted by Mm -hmm. it. I mean, if sin was orange, everything you would look at today is orange. I mean, there is no part of humanity that has not been corrupted, has not been tainted by it. Mm -hmm. And yet, if you do not uh, really look to 
um, the reality of God's world, the way that God has ordered humanity. And then we see God's story in Genesis 3, the fall of man. Um, if, if you don't look to that part of the story, then what are the, what are the false narratives that people give for describing the world that we're in? I mean, when people look out on this broken world, what are some of those false narratives? If they don't go back to, you know, the cause being mankind's sin, what are, what are the things they would point to? I think one thing that can be easily you know, believed instead is that things have always been this way. You know, it's always, no matter whose lifetime, you know, you look at or anyone you talk to, it's the always been The world was this, never yeah. perfect. I mean, it it's, it's the perfect. understanding yeah. that there was never a creation and it was never perfect. And so it's just, well, this is the way the There's world's always, always been. There's always been this tension between good and evil. Yeah, you see that in other worldviews. Sure. Yeah. You even see some who would argue that evil is relative. And so Mm -hmm. there's not much evil. And um, that's a very hard position to take um, because... It's a position of psychology today. It's a position that people take. But like the biggest question to them is then, um, so it's not wrong then for me to kill you, you know, or Mm -hmm. whatever. But then they would be like, well, no, it's wrong for you, but it's not wrong for... Or it's wrong for me, but it's not wrong for you. But it's one that is incoherent because it it does not make sense when you take it to its logical end. Yeah, or even more than, you know, without having an understanding of where the messed up came from, you come up with all other kinds of ideas of where all the bad things are from. Is it, is it because people have, you know, mental illness or is it, you know, a breakdown in our genes? Like what causes this if not one originating event? Right. If it's not sin, then Then people look at guilt and they say, well, that's just a psychological condition Mm -hmm. and you better overcome it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. um, So there are so many distortions of the true narrative the true story mm-hmm. that um, we can see today. Then thirdly, Ooh, actually before, yeah, before I we think jump it's, to the next it's one. something that it, we can also trace a lot of distortions about our belief of God here in this chapter as well. I mean, if you read the chapter, you see it towards the end where he removes Adam and Eve from the garden, right? Well, and he punishes them by giving them this curse. Like it's all just because they made one mistake, but really you see in verse 22, uh, the Lord God said, since the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. This is not some cosmic killjoy God who just decided to wreck our lives forever because we made one mistake. It was a God who was protecting us from living in that forever. Wow, that's good. And so that can get distorted too. So you look at worldviews of of God and what's, what's his purpose? It's not just to, you know, like, God is. God just, did not just banish them. Yeah, He's not just trying to make us miserable. Not for they're not good. <laughs> right, He did it for <laughs> their good, so that they good. wouldn't be stuck forever without a chance at three, which is redemption. With, yeah, no, that's great. That's great because when we think about redemption today, Christianity says the problem is sin, mm-hmm. and the, when we look around the world and the brokenness of the world, the problem is sin, and the solution to that is Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans six verse twenty three. In his letter to the Romans, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And so we see it's God in his own story that makes a way uh, for redemption to take place, that Jesus, the Son of God, comes as the God-man to restore what is broken. Jesus Mm -hmm. takes upon himself death and, and our punishment that we deserved 
And notice in that Jesus not only absorbs those things in his, but in his resurrection, Jesus identifies as us to save us. I mean, this is the great news. This is the gospel uh, that Jesus has come into the world uh, to, to restore that which is broken. However, if we don't look to Jesus as the solution to our problems, then how do many of kind of the world systems, the false narratives look to the person of Christ? Yeah. So false narrative is going to say, uh, I have to be the solution or something around me has to be the solution. So I'm either going to, um, find, find myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I'm going to find a solution that way, or I'm going to do enough external good that it's going to balance out my account. Mm -hmm. Because they would look at Jesus not as the sinless son of God. No, he's just another, another Gandhi, another prophet. And, and so here's the thing. It's, it's literally historical suicide to try and say Jesus never existed. Yeah. Like I mean, you literally probably should just stop being in whatever field you are if you try <laughs> and say that he did not exist. The evidence for his existence is literally overpowering. Right. Um, whether you are secular that. or a Christian worldview, it does not matter. Yeah. However, it's more of who he is who he is and who he was and yeah. what he did. That is what is disputed the most. And right. if if you come from a place that is not a Christian worldview, well, Jesus, I mean, great teacher, great mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he had some good things to say. In fact, we still repeat some of the things he says, but he's not the solution for mankind's problems. Yeah. One of my favorite quotes from all time, from now my favorite author of all time, C.S. Lewis spoke to this very issue with how, you know, kind of that, you know, that historical suicide, but the fallacy that we can find ourselves when people try to, you know, say that. Jesus was a good teacher. That is a false narrative. And here's why that's false. Um, This quote is really long, but it is so, it's just so good because he speaks right to it. Um, He says, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. And he said, um, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Wow, that's good. Yeah. It's, that's very reminiscent. I heard a preacher once um, back, I think, in college or high school, and he always used to say that Jesus, um, he was either liar, a lunatic, or Lord. Yeah. And you have to pick one of the three. It's not It's not, <laughs> It's not. not a great teacher because you're it exactly right. What he said did not make him a great teacher because he would have lied so much. Yeah. He would have been a very immoral teacher if he was not God. So he's either a liar, he's crazy, he had a mental problem, or he is Lord and he is who he said he was. Well, and I think a worldview discussion goes back to these four really fundamental uh, points in God's story of, of creation and the fall of man and redemption. And then we'll look at restoration in a minute. But if, if you... If you don't adhere to those points of God's story, then then you'll find yourself uh, distorting that in unbelievable ways. Mm-hmm. You'll, you know, I, uh, you know, so many people look at all of the religions of the world today, and there are so many, and yeah. 
you know, there are doctrinal differences between different denominations and things like that. But by and large, uh, between the broad um, uh, religions of the world, the, the crux of the issue comes down to what they do with Jesus. Um, is Jesus simply a man or is he a, a prophet or is he the sinless son of God? Because if he was the sinless son of God, as the Bible uh, describes him to be, then he is coming to take the sin of the world upon himself. And he's there to restore this broken world uh, back to God in the way that it ought to be. And we see that, you know, Christianity, the story of, of the Bible is is this understanding then fourthly of restoration that one one day God will create all things new. Mm-hmm. You know, we see that in Revelation 21. I think this is often where, you know, Christians do a good job of talking about the first three, mm-hmm. but they really don't emphasize the last one. Yeah. But in, in many ways, this is the most important one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we like to emphasize um, creation, fall, and redemption, because that either has happened or is happening. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, redemption is currently is happening. We are being uh, redeemed. We have been redeemed in the sense that we have new life in Christ, but and that is still yeah, happening. And for, for folks who are listening, that you know, when we hear the word redemption, yeah. that's kind of a big word, but let yeah. me break it down in three simple ways. Yep. All right. When Christ died on the cross and he took our sin, he, he was the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Uh, and in faith, Believing in Christ Jesus, uh, the Bible says in the book of Romans that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is God, uh, it talks about we'll be saved, right? Mm -hmm. So what are we saved from? Well, we're saved uh, the moment of salvation from the penalty of our sin. The moment a person turns and trusts in Christ for salvation, they will never face the judgment of God for their sin. Jesus has done that. He mm-hmm. he took that judgment upon himself. Secondly, right now, if you're a Christian and you've turned to Christ for salvation, you're being saved from the power of your sin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Bible technically talks about, have been saved, have but been. we are, be, that's the, so that's the, that's the thing is like the power of sin. We still face it right. in our lives, but we are it's not dominated by it. Right. So we technically yeah. have been saved, but we are being saved as well. Sure. Yeah. It's that progressive, you know, mm-hmm. that sanctification, the, the sanctifying work of God in our life. We're growing in grace. That's mm-hmm. that process. And then one day God will save us from the presence of sin. And that's what we're talking about here yeah. in restoration and in, in revelation 21, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And I thought, man, even just reading this again, I I see how many uh, times God is mentioned. This new heaven and this new earth, they come out of heaven from God. This is God's story. It's what God began, what God is committed to doing in your life today, and one day what God will do. Yeah. Yeah. And we forget it too often because... All of the things have happened, and so we forget restoration because out of sight, out of mind. We forget Paul's com- um, f- Paul's example in Romans 8.18 where he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Yeah. Most of us live in the sense of 
man, I do consider the sufferings of this present time to be way bigger than anything that's ever going to happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. And we forget that restoration will happen. Is there a lot of sufferings in this time? Yes. Paul never minimizes our sufferings. He maximizes our God. That's good. And we Mm -hmm. have to remember that, yes, there's suffering. Yes, there is sin. Yes, we are still being fully saved from the presence of sin and some of its power elements that that are there yes but but restoration is coming it's yeah. a promise and if we believe enough in the creation and the fall and redemption we must believe in the restoration and i think that is one thing that is just so remarkable that what makes the the gospel and the christian story shine the brightest is the fact that just there is just as much purpose in the ending as there was in the creation. God has always intended us for to go somewhere there, you know, where we can see it fall apart in so many other worldviews yeah. as, you know, if it was all an accident, then it's all for nothing. But we are going somewhere. But there's that longing in the heart of man. The yeah. Bible says that God said eternity with his heart. So if, if we once again do not look to God in his story of yeah. God saying this is the way the world is, uh, then what are those false narratives that mm-hmm. people uh, – spin into one of them i think is the whole aspect of karma i mean which is so dominated so many false religions this Mm -hmm. idea that life will not be perfected one day yeah life is just going to be uh, a reincarnation of of what you did in this life or a cycle on repeat that's never you'll you'll only seek perfection when you reach nirvana which is technically meaningless because depending on which religion it is, you don't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, right. So yeah, like, wait, what? Of, what? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or, I mean, when you look, when you take a very secular, materialistic sort of view, we can agree on the fact that the world is going to end, but the the ending of our world as we know it here as Christians is not just to the burnout of the sun and the failing of everything physical. Right. It is to a coming kingdom that really this end will just be the beginning. Yeah, and it's the whole it's the whole false narrative that hell does not exist. Yeah. Um, you know, man came from nothingness, and so nothingness will return. It's yeah, there's so many be, distortions of that true if, story. If if hell doesn't exist, then that just means everybody's going to. Go to heaven no matter what right that's that all roads lead to rome sort of idea that all the different worldviews eventually are going to end up in the same place um not the case yes yeah so yeah rome is not heaven so all (laughs) roads do not (laughs) it was a phrase figure speech (laughs) (laughs) but yeah I'm, i'm pointing out though that even even in that day though the roads would still it's it's a geographical nightmare to say that all roads lead to one place. Yeah, it was a it was a symbol that Rome was the center of an empire. It was not literally saying that every single created road would actually ultimately, if you took exactly Did the same way, you know, say that's what people Wait, would. That what? was what if the saying was. <laughs> they said that all roads lead to Rome, but to that empire. was that yeah. was simply a statement. But I love what you how you used it because people do think that way. But if you break it down and take it to its logical end, which is what we've actually been trying to do with everything, it doesn't stand. So what we're going to do here is kind of segue into our last point, and that is uh, that the gospel story, God's story, um, doesn't merely oppose somebody else's worldview, but it ultimately it transforms it. Yeah. It it resolves their story because our stories find their most sense in God's story. Yeah. Uh, God's story makes sense of our story. And it's only the gospel through Jesus Christ that resolves uh, really the, the, the tension that people face. You know, we, we, we alluded to this last time, 
But but the the evangelistic approach for many Christians over the last probably, you know, 40, 50 years has been the whole mentality of tell somebody where they're wrong and then mm-hmm. show them where they're right or what they need to believe in. Show them what is wrong, show them what is right, and call them to a response to believe in it. Yeah. And we live in such a postmodern culture today that where that worked really well back in, you know, uh, I don't know, 1960s, 1970s, the whole four spiritual laws in the Romans road. I'm not saying those don't work. They do. They work for people that already embrace a Christian, in parentheses, worldview. However, in our very postmodern culture today, that does not work at all. Because when people hear those type of absolute statements, and in their understanding of truth, they have not uh, embraced truth to be that type of reality. I think a lot of times Christians, you know, they work through one of those things and somebody doesn't believe it. And you're like, well, you idiot. <laughs> like, yeah. like, why are you not believing in moral absolutes? How can you not not believe in moral absolutes? And they try to go into this logical argumentative discussion of how even their choosing to not have absolutes yeah. is absolute. You know, we get into this argumentative way and – and, and, you know, like, whereas like you know, 30, 40 years ago, somebody was caught in adultery and, and, and people pretty much largely in society was like, ah, eh, that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. And even, but, even if they didn't say it was a good thing, they at least would admit that it wasn't like the best thing. And there was a sense of shame, but now in our culture today, you know, and, and someone's in the middle of an adulterous, adulterous relationship and somebody confronts them about it. And, and the generation today says, that's fine. Well, who are you? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they fell out of love they had to go yeah. find what was right for them right. which goes back to making internals the most thing like what we talked exactly. about but, so, but I do love what you said there yeah. because it's so true I want to give a big shout out to dare to share and I want to read you their three takeaways on how to evangelize a postmodern culture okay three ways first of all you ask ask questions to see where somebody is so this is the getting to know them secondly you admire Admire what you can about what they believe. Right. This isn't saying that you affirm, you admire. Mm-hmm. You know what? I I admire that as a person of your background that you could have such devotion. And then thirdly, you admit. Admit the reason why you have chosen to follow your worldview. And I think that while, yes, you could maybe tweak that a little bit to say, maybe I would do it a little bit different here or there. What it really brings out is well, evangelism. Because number one, Ask questions. Yeah. Yeah. Which is important because what what are you what are you seeking to do when you talk to somebody who has a different worldview than your own? You're trying to make them think about why they believe what they believe. But is that the first thing? I mean, I would push back. I would push back a little bit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I jumped ahead. (laughs) No, no, no. But I would push back a little bit and say, you know, that's where many people. I don't know if you meant that, but I think I don't think I did. No, no, I I, I know you didn't. But I think. Oftentimes, when we talk to somebody who has a different worldview than our own, we're listening to convince instead of listening yes, to understand. Yes, yes, yes. And 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 the thing is, hear and listen to their understanding of the way the world is. Um, they did not grow up like you. They mm-hmm. did not embrace a lot of the same things that you've already come to embrace. So you have to ask the questions so that you can identify the distortions in the gospel narrative. Where where are the what are the things that they are uh, really centering their life on because every one of us do that. Every one of us doesn't matter if you're religious or non-religious, every person, they have something that is in the center of their life that they're building their life upon They're They're looking to that 
to solve mm. the yeah. problems in their life. And when you take the time to just talk to somebody and hear where they're coming from, you're able to identify mm-hmm. what it is that they're centering their life on. And then the second thing they said was what? And the second thing they say is, is to admire what you can about what they believe. So what does that mean? I mean, I think it's it's finding the there are admirable, admirable qualities in any worldview because at yeah. some root there is a little bit of truth somewhere in there. Yeah, we have had the mentality in our Christian, you know, I don't know, Christianese relationships <laughs> today that we we feel like the gospel we, we will not embrace something unless it is perfectly wrapped. In the, in the Christian label. In the Christian label. Mm-hmm. And if it if it's not all things Christian, then we have to disassociate mm-hmm. from it. When an actual thing, I think what they're getting at is that there are all things in life that are good. There are things in life that are good, and those things are praiseworthy because they ultimately are derived came, from God yeah, himself. Came their, from God. Their biggest, uh, one of their big illustrations is like if you were witnessing to someone who was from, or uh, spreading the gospel to someone who was like from an Islamic background or worldview, they would say like something that you definitely can admire about someone from an Islamic background, no matter no matter what you believe, you can admire their devotion. Sure. Because they are devoted people and they are passionate. And you can admire that because that is that is right. a positive quality. Yeah, or any sort of, uh, I mean, I just think of creativity, all the different creative expressions in, in people, you know, right. how they're, uh, people are gifted, how they're using their Musically, gifts. Musically. Yeah, you can yeah. appreciate and admire that way before, you know, they come to understand a Christian worldview, yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah, and you're building bridges with people to be able to then thirdly, show them how the gospel of Jesus Christ actually transforms their story. And how it transformed your story. That's where it begins. Uh, Because you brought up this point earlier, Aaron, that was so good. People are so afraid to say something about witnessing. We're not in any way, when we say that, oh, you know how people used to witness, we're in no way saying that you shouldn't keep evangelizing and keep spreading the gospel. What we're saying is do it more just know who you're talking to. If you're talking to somebody from a Christian worldview, sure. It's not a sales pitch. It's not a sales pitch where you're going to talk to somebody for five minutes and then ultimately convince them of, of what they need. They, but, they have to be willing to have an honest discussion about what they are resting their life in. Yeah. And I think what you're doing is you're having an honest conversation to find what it is that person is centering their life upon and what they're hoping will, you know, fulfill and resolve the tension in their story. And you begin to find out that that whatever that is, apart from Christ, apart from God himself, uh, is ultimately crushing. Because any other identity that we place ourselves, uh, we, try to, we try to put for ourselves other than the identity that God has given us. You know, our identity is is not achieved. It's not in what I'm able to do, but it's it's received. It's what God has given. Anything that anything that my identity is something that I tried to achieve is ultimately I'm crushed under the weight of that. I can't. I I am not perfect. I cannot yeah. perform under that. And and we know that instinctively. Yeah. And yet we still try to rest in that. And what you're trying to do when you're sharing the gospel with somebody is you're showing them how their life is not. Um, kind of this microcosm that they get to choose whatever they want in their life, but that their life is a part of God's story and how does their story fit into God's story and what has God done uh, and what is he committed to do uh, in their life today to really transform where they're at. Yeah. And that's because so often it's just, it's become like 
you have to ex- you have to plan ahead for what this person's going to say. You have to know like the textbook background of where they come from in order to argue them with these very specific arguments. If they say this, then you can say that. But that is so much pressure. I don't know how to argue everyone based on that. And it's not about arguing. If you have been transformed by the life, death, resurrection, and new life of Christ, then you you are going to be able to explain to them how this is truly transformational. It's, you're not arguing them or beating them over the head with something that won't make sense. It will resonate because we're all asking these questions. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And we forget too that um, the Bible says literally that the spirit of God is working in them to bring them to repentance, yeah. basically to bring them in as his children. So, there's no use to argue. To help them see the true story. <laughs> There's no use to argue. Just talk to somebody. And if the Spirit's working in them, he'll save them. Yeah. And if he's not, somebody else will talk to them at a different point. Hopefully, if they obey the prompting of the Spirit, and the Spirit will work in them at that time. You know what I'm saying? And so I think we need to remember, too, that like witnessing is not – evangelism is not about us beating people over the head and convincing people. Evangelism is about us just being willing – heralds of the gospel and letting the Lord do his work. Yeah, and the let the gospel, for the hope that we have. Sure. And let the gospel, the power of the gospel resolve and transform uh, their stories. But we cannot do that if our worldview is distorted mm-hmm. or messed up. Sure. And I think it comes back to yep. worldview in that part of we need to be convinced and understand um, our worldview. true understanding our of the worldview. way the world is mm-hmm. exactly. so that they were able to clearly communicate that to other people. Well, listen, we hope that this has been a help to you, not only to clarify your own understanding of God's story, but that you are able to find your place uh, within it. And if you have questions about what it means to become a Christian, what it means to uh, really become a follower of Christ, uh, any one of us here at Where We Land would love to take the time to have that conversation with you. And so we hope you would reach out to us by our email if any of you have any questions or any thoughts about today's episode. Well, listen, we hope you'll join us here next time. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Where We Land, Christ, Culture, and the Church. Hey, listen, if there's anything you heard us talk about on the show today that you'd like to know more about, we would love to hear from you, and we'd really love to have a conversation with you. Uh, So send us your thoughts, questions, and feedback by sending us an email at podcast at whereweland.org. You can also find us on Facebook and our website at whereweland.org. Well, listen, we look forward to having you join us here next time as we begin a conversation of critical race theory. We'll see you then.